or two ago, um, Pip, my wife and I, witnessed a car crash on Straven Road. And after recovering uh, from the initial shock, we went over to the driver to see everything, if everything was okay, and, and then we pushed the car off to the side of the road. And the driver was tremendously grateful. I remember it quite clearly. Do you agree that it feels good being able to help someone in desperate need? Hmm. Being a good Samaritan. This phrase, of course, comes straight from Luke chapter 10. It's embedded in our culture. Many people probably don't know where it comes from. But uh, Luke chapter 10, from the story that Jesus told as part of a debate he had with a lawyer. Any lawyers here today? The man had come to Jesus to test him. Maybe he had heard about Jesus' reputation as a rabbi from Galilee. And perhaps he thought he would make a name for himself through public debate. Sometimes people do that. So he asked Jesus a question that was on the minds of many people in ancient times. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Not many people today seem very interested in that question. They're distracted and occupied by many things. But not the most important of all questions. Is there life after death? And how should I prepare for it? However, ancient people thought about that quite a lot. Now, it's interesting how Jesus responded because he flips the question back on the lawyer. You're an expert in the law, he said. What do you think the scriptures say? Now, that must have taken the wind out of his sails a little bit, I imagine, because every Jew knew the answer to that question. So he blurted out the two scriptures, uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, and Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Contrary to some belief, Jesus did not, was not the first person to put those two together. It was already common knowledge in ancient times. And Jesus replied to him, good answer, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked for a definition of terms. He was a lawyer. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? We've done that, haven't we? When faced with a clear commandment of God, often our first response is to question it, to talk about it, to discuss it, rather than to obey it. I've often noticed in Bible study groups that we're happy to discuss a passage of scripture as if everything's happening out there but never to ask the most important question, how can we support each other as we obey this principle that we've just read about? We resist bending our lives to Scripture and try and bend Scripture to our lives sometimes. So how did Jesus answer? Well, again, his approach is surprising. He doesn't play the lawyer's game. He doesn't offer a definition of terms. Instead, he tells a story. Because a story gets under the skin in a way uh, that a set of propositions does not. A story engages the imagination. And this story is like a booby trap that explodes with power when you handle it. So Jesus began. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, grabbed his bag and valuables and left him bloodied, unconscious and half dead by the side of the road. 
Now, it happened that two others were on that road not far behind, a priest and a Levite. Now, if the, the injured man had been conscious, it doesn't say he was actually unconscious, but I imagine he was not quite able to string two thoughts together, he may have thought, I'm saved. God has sent a priest and a Levite to help me. Because if anyone knew the law and the requirement to love God and neighbor, it would be the priest and the Levite. Tradition tells us that every morning they would recite these two verses, among other things. They knew they were to love God and neighbor. They, there would be no one more qualified to help than a priest or a Levite. And we've got two of them. But the priest saw the injured man and passed by on the other side. Now you've got to ask yourself, how can one human being see another human being in such desperate need and choose to completely ignore him? How can this happen, especially with people who should have known better? Well, the priest may have thought, I'd really love to stop and help, but it would be just my luck if this man were to die in my arms. And then I'd have to offer a special sacrifice to become ritually clean again before I could serve in the temple and do my job in the temple again. And sacrifices cost money, not to mention reputational damage, as people might wonder why I was making that additional sacrifice. Being in ministry is not easy. There are so many things to consider. So he passed on by on the other side. Now, I wonder if we employ the same logic from time to time. For example, are there some folk who are outside of our social circle who we'd rather not associate with? And some churches, I suspect, don't really want too many needy folk hanging around. They're a lot of trouble. Endless need. And, well, we've got our own communities and commitments to the church to think of. So we just not engage with them. So, next to come along was the Levite. Now, if the priest was like the vicar of the parish, now I guess the Levite was a cross between the administrator and the verger. Folk, uh, people who saw to the practical running of the church. Anyway, like the priest, the Levite saw the man in need and passed by on the other side. I wonder when, what went through his mind as he approached the injured man. Perhaps he'd just seen the priest hurry on by and thought, well, if the priest didn't stop, why should I? I'm busier than he is. Perhaps he thought, oh, I just don't need this. I've got so many responsibilities. I can sympathize with that, can't you? We're all busy. Anyway, a Samaritan was next to come along the road and if the priest and the Levite were at the top of the list of candidates most likely to stop in the minds of the audience as Jesus told the story, then this Samaritan would have been at the very bottom. As many will know, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other with a deep and bitter hatred. You can think of some groups and countries today a bit like that. The Samaritans were the near neighbours of the Jews. They lived in what we would now call the West Bank. Hundreds of years before when Assyria had attacked the northern kingdom 
the wealthy and political elite were taken into captivity, and those who were left behind had intermarried with other nations. So a mixed race had developed, and the people had rejected part of the Old Testament and built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. So the Jews considered them to be a half-caste breed of traitors, and they despised them. And of course, it's always easier to hate your neighbour who is right next door than an enemy who is far away. And yet this despised outsider sees the man, has compassion on him, gets off his donkey, rolls up his sleeves, gets blood all over his hands, pours soothing oil and antiseptic wine on his wounds and binds them up, puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, continues to care for him, keeping vigil overnight. There's a reference to that. In the morning, he gives the innkeeper two denarii and asks him to keep looking after him. Finally, he promised to pay any additional costs involved in nursing the man back to health. In other words, he leaves his credit card, an open checkbook, although we don't have checks anymore. He leaves himself financially vulnerable in order to take care of the man's needs. Then Jesus turned to the lawyer and asked, who proved to be neighbor to the injured man? And not wanting to take the word Samaritan on his lips, he replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, that's right. Now go and do that. Jesus was a genius. Make no question, he's the most important, amazing, wise, powerful person who ever lived by a long shot. That's right, now you go and do likewise. So let's recap. The story answers the question, who is my neighbor? And what is the answer? My neighbor is anyone I see in distress and whom I'm able to help. It's actually not everyone. It's the one in distress whom I'm able to help. Now, each of these words is important. Anyone I see in distress and whom I'm able to help. So think about the one who helped. The Samaritan saw the man in need, had compassion for him, took the time, got deeply and personally involved, and spent his resources to meet his need. Now think about the one who needed help. The injured man was unknown, unfriendly, unlovely. Furthermore, it was unrewarding for the Samaritan to engage with this man. Now, that's not how we would define neighbor today, is it? We usually think our neighbor is someone nearby, within our community, perhaps. Someone near us and someone like us, right? But Jesus defines neighbor as anyone I see in distress and whom I'm able to help. And that person may be unknown, unfriendly, unlovely, and it may be unrewarding for me to get involved. That person is my neighbor. Now, the emphasis on seeing is important. Luke goes out of his way to explain that each of the three people saw the man in need. You'll note, 
um, for example, it says, when the priest saw him, he passed on by. The priest saw ceremonial defilement. The Levite saw one more extra job to do. Only the Samaritan saw a neighbor. Each of the travelers saw the same man in need, but only one saw a neighbor. It's like this. Who you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. Imagine you come to me to the machine hall of the paper mill I used to work at. And I see a complex machine with tens of thousands of individual elements and systems all working in tune to produce a beautiful sheet of paper. But you walk into the same environment and you see something that's unbearably noisy, hot, humid, confusing and scary. We see the same thing but experience it very differently because who you are determines what you see and what you see determines what you do. The Samaritan saw a person in need and compassion flowed out of him from his heart and he did something. It's basic to Christian theology that we love others because God first loves us. When we turn to Christ and experience God's loving acceptance and forgiveness, we experience the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And out of that fullness of love, we see others differently. Because who we are in Christ determines what we see, and what we see determines what we do. The love of God changes our hearts, fills us with compassion for those in need. And we love other people as a result. And I know this to be true. Because those who love their neighbor the most are the ones who love God the most. Sometimes we hear a caricature of the saints. Those great heroes of faith from the past. Locked up in their rooms, praying and singing all in solitude. It's a caricature, isn't it? Because the saints are actually the ones who've experienced the love of God the most and as a result, love their neighbors the most. Think of Mother Teresa, who loved God and served the destitute in Calcutta. Think of St. Francis, who loved God and served the poor of Italy. There are numerous examples. Because who we are determines what we see, and what we see determines what we do. got ahead of myself. I must say there are times when I'm like the pious priest. That's why I have to confess my sins every Sunday. Sometimes I'm like the busy Levite. For me to change and become like a compassionate Samaritan, I must experience more of the love of God. Because who I am determines what I see. And what I see determines what I do. So who's my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone I see in distress and whom I'm able to help. Will you become a neighbor to those in need? Amen.
Don, could you come forward please and lead our prayers? Thank you.